Well, man, I hope that you have been able to celebrate uh, and be thankful for the freedoms that we have here in this country over the last couple of days, maybe on into this weekend. I heard some people celebrating last night, like at 1130, 12 o'clock, somewhere in our neighborhood. One of the freedoms that we have here in our country, and, and by the way, this is not a freedom enjoyed all over the world, and so we're very fortunate here in our own country, uh, is to be able to say uh, something that we, is very common here at MCC. As a matter of fact, you've seen it on coffee cups, you've seen it on glasses, you've seen it on shirts, you've seen it on computers, uh, you've seen it on posters, on walls, uh, and that is that we like to say here at MCC that we exist. Remember, okay, so say this out loud with me if you would. To love God, love people, and live on mission, right? So let's say it one more time. Love God, love people, live on mission. Hard to believe that not everybody around the world can say that out loud with the freedom that we have here. Uh, but the question is, of course, what does it mean? We kind of get love God, we kind of get love people. But what does it mean to live on mission? What, 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 what are we talking about when we say that? Because we do a lot of really good, very important, incredibly helpful things around here, like uh, Hannah showed us this past week with handing out backpacks, the fact that we get to help back-to-back -back with food uh, coming up here in July. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to just let, make sure you know several of the things that we do here. We're a part of Hope for Miamisburg. Not if you know, have heard of that group. It's a group of leaders here in Miamisburg, city leaders, community leaders, uh, business leaders, school leaders, church leaders, uh, members of our community who want to make a difference here at home. We're part of that, right? We partner with Helping Hands and Bog and Phil Grace Farm to provide free food for those who are food insecure. We partner with Threads to provide free clothing. We partner with His Hope to help people recover from drug addiction. We partner with Planting Seeds to provide free household uh, items here. We partner in different countries, and maybe you have been to one of these countries with us, Brazil, Haiti, India, Mexico, Pakistan, Africa. We go to all of those places, and we serve here in all of those places in our community, but the question is, what is it we're trying to do? What is our mission? What thread runs between those partnerships and our congregation, it also runs through us not only as a whole, but runs through us individually as the church. What, what is it that we're each and all to be doing? What's our mission? This is how Jesus said it. I take you back to Matthew chapter 28. Jesus has finished his earthly ministry, is about to go uh, back to heaven. And it says, Matthew 28 tells us that Jesus came to them, that is his followers who were with him on top of the mountain, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what we call our mission, we find in the middle of Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. So look at verses 19 and 20 one more time, right? Here's what our mission is made up of. We, we help people become disciples of Jesus, we baptize them, and then we teach them to obey everything. That's our mission. Uh, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. In other words, one of the things that we say around here is, uh, we've just shortened it to, we help make disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Do you know what the next words are? That make disciples, right? So you just keep going with that. So if helping someone uh, decide to follow Jesus, not, me not merely come to church, but actually follow Jesus uh, 
every day is our mission, how do we go about doing that? If that's what we're all about, how do we do that? Not merely together as a church, but more importantly, each of us individually as we leave this place. Because can I tell you, and by the way, uh, in the version notes, if you don't have the version app open, you might want to open that, go to the events tab and find us. There's some notes there for the message. It says this, and I want to make sure you get this. People who know you won't be drawn to Jesus because what the church you're part of is doing if they don't see Jesus in you. I'm going to say that one more time. (laughs) Really important. People who know you won't be drawn to Jesus because what the church you're part of is doing unless they see Jesus in you. The most powerful, most effective way to help people decide to follow Jesus begins with you and me. And it's not about having it all together. It's not about always getting it right. It's not about never making a mistake. It's not even about never sinning, uh, accidentally or intentionally. And to be real clear here this morning and very transparent, almost every time I sin, I know exactly what I'm doing. Maybe that's true of you as well. It's not an accident. I didn't make a mistake. I knew it was wrong, but I wanted to do what I was getting ready to do anyway. And maybe that's true of you. What I do need to be is real. On your notes, for people who know me or see me to want to follow Jesus because of me, they need to see me be real. So, Uh, Along that line, Jesus tells a story. It's about a Pharisee. If you don't know what a Pharisee is, they are religious leaders in the first century uh, and a tax collector who go to church. They actually go to the same temple together. And here's the question, right? If the tax collector, you need to think about this. If the tax collector and the Pharisee each represent two different kinds of Christians, which one would cause you to want to be like them? Pharisees, tax collectors, in the story Jesus tells, if one of them, if you're going to be like one of them, which of these two causes you to want to be like them? Let's look at the story. Jesus tells this, uh, verse 9, it says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, this is the story that Jesus told them. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, not like robbers, not like evildoers, not adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven and beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Listen, I just want to point out a couple of things this morning as we look at this and try to answer that question, which one of these two causes me to want to be more like them, right? Here's the first one. Pharisees think that God is impressed with who I am. Now, I'm pointing that out because of what is we read in verse 9 and verse 11 in this parable. Verse 9 says, some who are confident of their own righteousness uh, and look down on everyone else. So this is who he's telling the story to. And then verse 11, this Pharisee says, it says, he stood by himself and prayed. And if you have the NIV Bible, there's a footnote at the bottom that says it could also be translated, he stood and prayed this prayer to himself. I mean, it seems obvious he's not talking to God, Right? 
because he has no humility. There's no submission in this prayer. There's not even a word of praise for who God is or what he's done to bless him. And in verse 11, he also, it says, he prayed about himself. So his prayer was comparing himself to others. God, I'm glad I'm not like other people. And I don't know if you notice who he compared himself to. John the Baptist? No. Martin Luther? C.S. Lewis? Mother Teresa? Billy Graham? No, none of those things. That's not who we compare ourselves to when we want to make ourselves look good, right? Who did he compare himself to? Hey, at least I'm not robbing banks, right? Isn't that what he's, I'm not a robber. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not an evildoer compared to all of them. He felt great about himself. Notice this too. Pharisees think God is impressed with what I do. So in the midst of all of this self-congratulatory prayer, he says in verse 12, I fast twice a week and I tithe. I give a tenth of all I get. According to the Old Testament, fasting was only required. You could do it more often, but it was required for Israelites one day a year, fast together. Yet this guy did it twice a week. Man, ex talk extra credit? Are you kidding me? What could possibly be wrong with spiritual discipline like that? Fasting and tithing and, and, and praying, those are all really good things. The problem is, the problem is this Pharisee well, it's not that he wasn't doing the, it's not that he was doing the wrong things. He was doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And not only did he expect others to be terribly impressed by his religious devotion, he actually thought God would be impressed with him as well. But here's the thing, and it plays right into why people are drawn to others who are real. It's God is impressed with who I'm becoming. Not, not who I am or what I do, but who I'm becoming. Verse 13 the tax collector stood at a distance, wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and in humility said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. On your notes, I want to make sure you catch this. A church marked by being real help others come to Jesus only because in an atmosphere, only in an atmosphere where we sense we can be real. Am I going to be honest about who I am? Only in an atmosphere where everyone else seems to be okay with being real and honest about themselves? Am I going to be willing to be honest about who I am? If transformation is going to happen in our lives, we have to be honest about who we are. And can I, can I let you in on something that you probably already know? Because you know it's true for you, but maybe you've forgotten that it's true of other people as well. If I don't sense that I'm with people who are honest about where they've been, so that they can love me where I am, I'm not going to be honest with you. I'm not going to tell you the truth about me. Check this out because it may have to do with your next step in your faith. Maybe your next step is to start with just being real with yourself. If I'm going to be real, I, it begins with being real with me. Be honest about your questions. Be honest about your weaknesses. Be honest about your struggles. Let me tell you what you already know about you. You're not perfect. <laughs> Let me tell you something else. Maybe to remind you, you don't need to be, right? Just be real about who you are. Or maybe this is your next step. If you're already doing that, be real with God. Again, you don't have to be perfect, but God has called you to imitate his son. He has given you his spirit to help you move that direction to transform you. Like the man in the parable that we just read about, that means being honest with God about where we're weak in our faith and asking for help.
right? That's what the Holy Spirit's all about. Here's the third. Maybe your next step is to be real with others. We, we need to make sure, listen, it's important that we remember not to put on our perfect Christian mask. Be honest about where you're still growing and changing and even struggling. It won't compromise the message of Jesus that you want to share. Actually, what's going to happen is it'll make it more real. So check this out. The real world needs to see the real you. People don't need to see a perfect life. What they need to see is what a perfect Savior can do in the life of imperfect people, a.k.a. us, you and me. So if we want to join Jesus on mission, that's where it starts. It starts with being real. And then watch what God can do with the real you, right, Uh, and your real imperfect story. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. When he wrote to the church in Rome, he said, don't think that you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. If I'm not honest about where I am, I cannot get where I want to be. And that is huge to God for us to have an atmosphere here at MCC where that can happen in your life. But it's even bigger than that, right? There are people who are far from God, your friends, your family members, some of whom have probably said these words to some extent, I will never go to church because they won't accept me there. Sometimes people want to know what kind of church we are. And so they'll ask questions. Maybe they've asked you questions that sound a little bit like like this. What kind of church are you? And what they're wanting to know is, is this the self-righteous, judgmental kind of church where people are pretty much intolerant, so just come in and act right, and everything will be okay. They want to know, will you love people enough to let them be real about who they are in their life? Will you accept me for who I really am, or how long will you put up with me? This issue of tolerance is huge in the church today. We live in a tolerance-driven society, so much so that we observe an international, international day of tolerance on November 16th. People are tuned into this idea of tolerance, and they're talking about it in our world. But when it comes to the church, what most people feel is zero tolerance. When people talk about the church, they use words like harsh and judgmental and condemning. Look, I don't believe God wants us simply to be tolerant with people. I think he actually wants us to go a step further than just being tolerant. He wants us to extend grace to people. Tolerance does absolutely nothing to change a person's life, but in an atmosphere of grace, everyone, all of us can be transformed, and we all need to be transformed. John Burke wrote a book called No Perfect People Allowed, and he wrote this. He said, since the world cannot offer grace in its absence, it has found an inexpensive substitute, tolerance. Tolerance is defined by Webster as sympathy or indulgence for beliefs or practices differing from or conflicting with one's own. Then I put the rest of this in your notes. He said, the very idea of tolerance implies putting up with something that you don't like or value. Our culture diets on the candy of tolerance, but what it really craves is the meat of grace. Tolerance does not value people, but simply puts up with their behavior or their beliefs. Tolerance alone cannot accommodate both justice and mercy. It can only look the other way. Listen, God does not wish to merely tolerate you. He wants to extend grace to you. 
And grace does more than just turn its head away from looking at sin in our lives. It is actually a fountain for life change. And so we need to offer more than tolerance here at MCC. We need to be a place that offers grace. Acceptance is the tangible working out of love. Acceptance is love with its skin on. Love allows us to value people just as they are, which makes me want to ask you a question. Does that make anybody else in the room nervous to think about that? And, and do you know why? If it does make you a little bit nervous, or if you think about it a little bit more, it's going to make you nervous. Why is that hard for us? Why is, why is acceptance so difficult for those of us who follow Jesus? And the answer is, we believe that acceptance equals agreement. That accepting someone for who they are means that we agree with their attitude and all of their behaviors and their lifestyle choices. I like this Rick Warren, it's on your notes. He said, our culture has accepted two huge lies. If we agree with someone's lifestyle, we must fear them or hate them. And to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. And both are nonsense. He says, you don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. And I don't know if you've ever bought into those lies or not. But what if I accept someone and they misinterpret interpret my acceptance as condoning the way they live their life uh, what if they don't really change and i'm gonna listen here's the problem with what jesus calls us to do that's entirely possible it is entirely possible that they will never change but here's the thing that jesus wants to make sure we know as well change is not our responsibility in their life change is only our responsibility in our own lives it's God's job to change people. You can't change people. I can't change people. Only the Holy Spirit, God through the Holy Spirit, can change people. Our job is to accept them. And so when Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, he wrote to the church in Corinth, he said, I planted the seed, Apollo swatted it, but God is the one who made it grow. So the one who plants is not important. The one who waters is not important. Only God who makes things grow is important. And so as the church, can we believe that? That only God can bring about change in a person's life. It's not our ministries. And we, not only what we do here at MCC, but we partner with great ministries here in our city and around the world. But it's not our ministries. It's not even Bible studies. It's not you or me or anything that we do. It's only God through his Holy Spirit who can bring about transformation in a person's life. You know, I love the way Max Lucado said this. He said, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. My job isn't to change people. Your job is not to change people. Our job is to love people as is and to create an atmosphere of love so that people can be honest about where they are in their life because if we can't be honest about where we are, we have no hope of getting to where Jesus wants us to be. On your notes, many people in our world don't believe they can be accepted by God as is. And the reason they don't believe that is they've never been accepted as is by Christian people. God loves you just the way you are. Please hear that. If this is your first time here this morning. No one's ever told you that. I just want to make sure you know God loves you just the way you are. But it's equally important to understand that he loves you too much to leave you there. He wants to help you become like his son. And listen, that's the atmosphere that we have to have. Because if you can accept the real me, then maybe God can accept the real me too. 
and love me. In Numbers chapter 6, there is this blessing that may be familiar to you. It's actually a favorite of a lot of people. Uh, Here's the traditional translation, New King James Version. The Lord bless you and keep you, right? You've heard this. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the original language, the word for bless basically means may the Lord stoop toward you. May he bend down and look into your face. And the words lift up his countenance upon you literally means smile at you. And so this verse could be accurately translated more, may the Lord stoop toward you, bend down and look into your face and smile upon you. Can I just say, that's the experience that God wants people to have when they are part of his church. And when we're real with each other and ourselves and with God about who we are and where we've come from and where we have yet to go. And the grace that we need from God and the people that we see, it allows them to be honest about where they are in their lives. And when we're honest about those things and where we've been, it gives them hope for where they can be. So here's what we're going to do this morning. It seems very natural to stop and put into practice what we just talked about. And we do that each week in our time of communion. This is part of why communion is so important to us. Number one, we remember what Jesus did on the cross for our sins, that he died, gave his body and his blood to purchase forgiveness of our sins. And so we stop and we take the cracker and the juice that remind us of his body and blood so that we remember what he did. But we can't stop there we also remember what Jesus is still doing in our lives today, helping us to be honest about who we are and where we've been and where we still have yet to go. In other words, this time is about helping us be real with ourselves and with God. That's why Paul would remind the church in Corinth in chapter 11, that first uh, letter he wrote in chapter 11, he's talking about communion. He says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That's just another way of saying during communion, Be real with Jesus. Be real about who you are. Be real about where you have failed this week. Be real about where you have succeeded this week. And be real about who you want to be. And ask him for his help to get you there. Why don't we pray? Father, thank you. This time, (sighs) there's so many things going on so many things that we need to be doing to honor you. And God, we know that number one is we remember. We take ourselves back 2,000 years to the cross where your son gave his life for ours. God, may we never forget. May we never forget that sin is not a joke. This isn't a game. That Jesus paid a penalty with his life so that we could have ours. And so, God, I pray that we would be mindful of that as a congregation. May we come before you remembering the great gift you have given, but may we also remember that you've not stopped, that you continue to work in our lives, and who we are today is not who we were a year ago, or at least it shouldn't be, but it's also not who we're going to be in another year. That, God, we make progress every day. It seems so incremental sometimes. We don't even hardly notice but the people around us do. And God, if we'll be honest with you in this moment and honest with our friends about who we are, 
they might see the hope that we have in you for their own life. And so now we stop and we remember. And God, we want to be honest with you. Thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you for working in our lives. Jesus, thank you for blazing a trail that we can follow. Because we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.